Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone, ready to play right now. Johnson, who, in addition to a Thin Lizzy event we'll talk about in a moment, has an album coming out later this year called Battle Lessons from Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. Damon, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Christian, my pleasure, buddy. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing all right. It's, uh, it's a beautiful uh, afternoon in uh, Burbank, California, and uh, my, my kids are uh, away at their uh, daycare slash preschool, so uh, the house is quiet. I get a chance to talk to you. I was listening to some of the music beforehand, so uh, literally no complaints. <laughs> and that is tremendous. Well, listen, I have to tell you something. Uh, I'm from Alabama, but we've been in Nashville since 2013. Sure. My baby sister lives in Burbank, California. <laughs> and has lived there since the early 90s. Oh, wow, okay. She is a pharmacist at Costco. Now, not the one right there. Uh, There's right the one on Victory. Victory, yeah. Yeah, she used to work at the one there on Victory, but they live on Bel Air uh, Dry, Bel Air Avenue or whatever. Okay. Boulevard. It's just off of Alameda as you're going up the, sure. kind of up into the, the mountain there. They got four kids and it's awesome, man. So it's a small world. Yeah, no, it's a very small world. And that's the interesting thing because uh, my wife and I, we moved here uh, from North Hollywood, not too far away. And we're just like, oh, this is exactly what we wanted. It's got the neighborhood feel and the community. And then literally over the weekend, just speaking with friends of ours who grew up here, they're like, yeah, I think we have to move away from Burbank because it doesn't have the neighborhood feel that we had. When I'm like, I don't know what it had when you were kids, but it's exactly <laughs> what we're looking for. So, you know, people, people are never entirely happy with, uh, with what it is that they have. So uh, I don't well, know. Good, good for you, man. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it's working for you. I know yeah. my way around. I've been there so many times now, man. I know my way around pretty good. So. Uh, oh, I'm sure. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, you think of uh, all the, you know, the the venues that you must have played at. I mean, uh, you know, there's uh, was not there anymore, but there was the the venue, the Gibson up at uh, Universal, uh, which ha is has well, now there's nothing going on because the theme park's closed. But they turned yeah, it into uh, the Harry Potter World. So, right. so it was like a venue that I, you know, that's a good venue for like, I don't know, five, 6,000 seats, you know, that was a, that Perfect. was a see stuff. Yeah. And yeah. uh, they're just like, well, we'll make a lot more money if we uh, turn it into Harry Potter. So, but there's, yeah, there's uh, so much stuff uh, around here. Uh, there was a, uh, there was a, a taco place that uh, for, had a uh, photo of uh, your old boss, Alice Cooper in it, uh, just literally around the corner from here. So uh, I believe that man. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I auditioned for the Alice Cooper band. Are you familiar with that? Uh, it's a rehearsal place called Mates, M-A-T-E-S. It's a little more towards North Hollywood from, from Burbank. But I mean, I could get there from my sister's place in 20 minutes tops, man. Okay. You know, it, just, it just wasn't that far away. So, but Mates is kind of a famous... It's, it's a down and dirty, you know, it's nothing fancy, but it, man, it's where everybody rehearsed, man. Guns N' Roses used to rehearse. I think Slash still does to this day. The Foo mm-hmm. Fighters, uh, they rehearsed there before they built their studio about two blocks away. So, right. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh. Man, no, there's, yeah, of- I mean, there's, there's so much stuff. And I mean, that's the interesting thing too about, you know, I'm using the air quotes of, of Hollywood. It's like, you got all this TV stuff, movie stuff, but then it's also like, oh yeah, but then there's all these studios that are also for music. And sometimes the music is for movies and TV, or, you know, it's just the actual recording industry. It's like, you know, down every alley, there's like some other thing that you didn't realize was there. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I host a lot of shows for a network that uh, called After Buzz TV, and they were on Burbank Boulevard in North Hollywood. And when I got the address, I'm like, wait, that's like right next to the coin operated car wash I used to go to. And then you, you go in there and you're like, oh, they have these like beautiful studios and all these facilities. You just wouldn't know they were there, you know? So all that stuff is uh, kind of, uh, you know, hiding a little bit. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's where I live now. But uh, I did Thank actually, you. I wanted to kind of start because I was reading your notes. I kind of want to start at the beginning for you and Thin Lizzy, because I think I, I love stories like this. So you became a fan of Thin Lizzy right away. Uh, you were 15, but you actually went to go see Nugent. You had no idea who was opening, and it turned out it was Thin Lizzy. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, that, By the way, uh, hard to top a bill like that in 1979, Thin Lizzy and Ted Nugent, you know? Yeah, you couldn't top it in 79, man. Um, I went with two of my friends from high school one of their dads drove us about an hour and 15 minutes north to Huntsville Alabama to the Von Braun Civic Center and uh, we were so excited to see Ted Nugent and uh, I remember my friend's dad dropping us off in front of the arena and you know it had that big old school sign you know where the the information kind of scrolls across you know in the old whatever that lighting, the way those old <laughs> civic center signs used yeah, to sure. now, now they're like 4G and Technicolor and they're probably hooked up to the Wi-Fi somehow. But anyway, it said, coming tonight, Ted Nugent, special guest, Thin Lizzy. And I remember turning to my friends and going, oh, have you guys heard of them? They, they got that cool song, The Boys Are Back in Town. That was a big hit last year. And that was about it, you know? So we go in, we go straight to the floor. I, I Honestly, Christian, I think it was maybe the second concert I'd ever been to in my life, second or third. So, you know, the, you're already filled with this wonderment and just like, oh, we're doing it. We're at concert and look at all these people and you could smell all the weed in the, in the <laughs> upper stands, yeah, sure. and, you know? <laughs> So man, the lights go down, the stage immediately fills with smoke. These two police sirens kick off above the drum kit, this big power cord. And these guys leap up, you know, onto these risers kind of by the vocal monitors. And I didn't realize it at that moment, but they opened with Jailbreak, you know, one of their biggest songs. And 
Christian, all I can tell you, man, is it changed my life. I stood there for the next 45 minutes and it changed my life. Um, I was already in love with the guitar. I was playing pretty well at that point. I was obsessed with Les Pauls. Um, and so Scott Gorham is over there to my right in this full, like, it was almost like a white, it's almost like a white jumpsuit, but it, but it was better fitting, you know, like it fitting great. He just looked like a God. He had that long brown hair and that Les Paul, yeah. and he's just rocking out and going crazy. But no question, man, the star of the show was Phil Linet. You know, he jumped on that riser and the spotlights would hit. He had a mirrored pick guard on his bass guitar. So the spotlights would hit that mirror and then he would reflect it into the audience and he would shine it on girls in the audience. And we were just like, what? This is insane. <laughs> and he was, you know, he was the biggest star. He may be the biggest obvious star that I, I've seen even to this day, man. I mean, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore of greatest all time, man. I'm I'm talking Freddie Mercury level, sure. David Bowie level, very very special, very special. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because you you're, you're talking about Thin Lizzy. You already mentioned Boys Are Back in Town, and then you said that they opened with Jailbreak. And here in the United States, it, it's definitely Boys Are Back in Town. Then sort of like a little bit further down the ladder, like oh yeah yeah I know Jailbreak too, but they never really kind of caught on to the popularity that they enjoyed in the rest of the world. So, I mean, legitimately, I was probably in my 30s before I heard more than those two songs. You know, I'm 44 now. So it was, it was a long time, you know. Yeah, so what yeah. I'm just kind of, why do you think it is that, uh, you know, that obviously they have a very loyal fan base, but in terms of that level of success, I mean, that, uh, you know, the opening for Ted Nugent, a lot of people would have seen them and they have those songs. Do you have any, anything that you can feel, you feel like you've been able to isolate It's like, well, these are probably a couple of things that contributed to it, or is it uh, just hard to put your finger on? No, man, I think there's a couple things. One thing is just unfortunate timing. You know, so much about success in, in the music business, especially has to do with timing and good fortune. Um, there was so much guitar driven, rock going on at that time, especially in America. And in some ways, there was almost just limited space, you know, for people to kind of absorb it all here in the States. You know, we were so consumed with, you know, Zeppelin and Aerosmith and Black Sabbath. Um, 1979, you know, Van Halen had just hit the scene the year before and they changed everything. So, um, but the other thing that was a challenge for Thin Lizzy, as has been much heralded, and you know Scott Gorham talks about it even to this day, man, no question was the drug use, you know, the substance abuse, and um, you know, unfortunately, there were, you know, plenty of musicians dabble, plenty of musicians develop some kind of a habit, even, but man, those guys went deep down the path lot further down than, than people really realize. And um, that's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your decision making. It's going to affect your mental health, much less your physical health. And I just think I, it literally started that year, man, 79, 80, 81, you know, and by the time they got to that last album, Thunder and Lightning, you know, and, and I've gotten this straight from Scott many times. He's talked openly about it in the press that he just knew that was it for him. Like if he didn't leave the band, 
and go and try and find a way to get sober. It was going to kill him. And it did kill Phil. You know, Phil, they broke up then Lizzie, and he went straight out and started another band. And um, it's, uh, it's such a shame because, you know, Phil was ultra special. Um, it's, it's interesting. There's a new movie coming out about Phil. I don't know if you've heard, you may have heard about that. But, yeah, uh, I heard, uh, I know that uh, Eddie Trunk saw it. And so I heard him talking about it, uh, but that's yeah, all man. I know about it. Is well, I had, his I had the good, it, yeah. for, I had the, I had the good fortune of, of being able to see it. Uh, someone sent me a link to it and it, it's so beautifully shot. Um, you know, they don't really do the deep dive into you know, the more of the real nuts and bolts of, of what happened and how it ended. And I get it, you know, uh, it, it wasn't my decision uh, how to direct it. Did I lose you? Oh, there you no, go. it just, it just uh, basically flipped to like a, like a stock photo of you uh, on stage. So it's, uh, oh, it's it a nice I... little, it's a nice little departure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was my battery warning light telling me, uh, <laughs> I may have to plug this thing in a second. Okay. Sure. But, um, yeah, man. And, you know, they had some great opportunities. They, they toured, they opened for Queen, you know, when Queen was out on the, uh, um, I, I just had a brain fart, the big record that had, we are the champions and uh, we will rock you. Um, yeah. I see the album cover. doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, yeah. Queen were, Queen were lords at that point. And what a great tour, you know, for them to be on. But um there was another there was another moment right after that they had booked their own headlining tour to come and play theaters and some small arenas on their own and uh you know one time Phil got hepatitis and they had to cancel and then there was another big tour planned and uh Brian Robertson got his hand slashed in a in a barroom incident like the, literally the night before they were supposed to fly out of Heathrow in London and come come to the states and they had to cancel some of those shows so yeah. Incredible, man. You know, what a catalog. And, and as you, as you mentioned earlier, Christian, I mean, they're so beloved and respected and, you know, there was such an influence on so many of us musically, uh, not ironically, James Hetfield is one of the people interviewed in the movie. Sure, yeah. um, and the other fascinating interview in there is Huey Lewis uh, of all people. Huey Lewis uh, actually toured he used to be in a great band called Clover. Right. And Clover, Clover supported Thin Lizzy several times in the UK. And, and uh, Huey was so eloquent in his description of Phil and how much he loved him. And, you know, undeniable, man. Just the great, yeah. just the best hard rock band. You know, they were just stars and they were just undeniable. And it's yeah. a shame that it wasn't bigger. Yeah, they, Sorry, the, the Clover era for Huey Lewis was so long ago, it's when he thought it was hip to be hip. It was long before he thought it was hip to be square. Uh, and I just want to, because it was going to bother me the way it was bothering you, it's uh, Queen News of the World. And Thank you. Oh my I, God. I kept thinking about it. I'm like, if I don't Google it right now, I'm going to like, I'm going to listen to you, but then I'm going to be like, wait, which one is it? It's definitely not hot space. That's much longer. You know, so news was, of the world. That's like forgetting the name of hotel California, you know? <laughs> well, it's not like the album's called we are the champions, you know? <laughs> so, right. 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 Then That's that true. would be like, yeah, what's your, which queen album had flash Gordon on it? I don't really know. <laughs> but, you know, look, what you were saying about, uh, you know, you, you, look, you mentioned Aerosmith in passing, and it's well documented, the, the drug problems that they had. And it, it, when you hear about Thin Lizzy, 
it's just that much more surprising that, you know, obviously the, the band kind of fell apart in the early 80s, but the fact that they were able to get it together and just have that tremendous success in, in the late 80s and the 90s and really ever since, it's it's that much more surprising when you think about, you know, other bands and, you know, bands that didn't even enjoy the amount of success as, as Thin Lizzy did, you know, just because of just what happened with, with the addiction. I mean, and then the stories you hear about Aerosmith, you know, basically like one note in, Steven Tyler collapses on stage and passes out. So they have to cancel the concert. You know, you hear a lot of- All true, stuff. man. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, having, having had the, uh, you know, I'm I'm really humbled that I've been able to make friends with a lot of the guys in Aerosmith, Steven included. And, you know, he'd be the first person to tell you, hey, man, we, we had some help. You know, we had some people that, you know, we got lucky that we made it through it. And we had some people in our world that cared enough to, like, help them. Like, look, you this, this isn't going to work like this. You know, we're going to, you know. And Phil just never had that. I think he was just surrounded by yes men to the very end of his life. There was no one that came to him and said, listen, we're, we're taking you to rehab. If we have to strap you to a chair or to the bed, you're going to detox and we're going to get you healthy. There's too many people depending on you. You have too many gifts and you have too, many, too much positive things in your life to look forward to. I, I don't know, man. He was he was definitely a, a rough and tumble Irishman. Yeah, sure. And and maybe it's a cultural thing, you know. You just can't you can't admit your shortcomings or, or face them. And I don't know, man. It's a, it's one of the it's one of the great tragedies of of rock music for sure. You know, uh, somebody that I was about to bring up is a a figure that sort of has played that role. You know, uh, not long ago, I was talking to David Ellison from Megadeth, and he talked about, you know, going out on tour with Alice Cooper in the mid 80s once he was clean. And, you know, just how many people that, you know, maybe maybe you would know, but a lot of us in the public would never know who Alice helped out, you know, sort of when they had those kind of problems, you know, because if anybody knows it, it's him, you know, and he's able to relate to it. And, uh, you know, David Ellison really talked at great length about it. And, you know, now they're neighbors and, you know, in, in Phoenix. So, uh, and the reason why I was, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, brother. I know that for a fact that Alice has helped so many people. Yeah. And it's just another one of the reasons that we all love and respect him so much because, uh, he's been there and he knows how hard it is. And it, was very surprising man the the number of musicians that would show up at gigs and you know you're having like just a random conversation backstage and and oh so yeah you know alice pretty well and they go oh yeah man he helped me get sober i mean i heard it a lot yeah Um, says a lot about coop you know again because he knows how difficult it is and uh sometimes that's all you need is just some encouragement like hey man you can get through this. It's going to be tough, but let me help you. Here's some people I know, or here's a, here's a facility I know. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, man, to, yeah. To find a way yeah. To I mean, uh, you know, fortunately it's not something that, that I've ever suffered with, but I definitely have uh, people that I know very close. Uh, I'm very close to that have, and it's like, yeah, you do have to come to your own decision. Yes. I need to do this for me, but if you don't have somebody like that to call that can help you, it makes it that much harder. So, uh, and then the reason I was going to bring up Alice is you're talking about your first or second concert. Uh, so the first time, the first concert I ever went to was in 1990 and that's when Alice was out on the trash tour. So it was that, 
that band. That's before you played with him. Uh, but uh, so that so I went to that show, and then a few months later, I saw Kiss on the Hot in the Shade tour. So oh, and then my third show was like a week later. So it was Aerosmith. So I see those three bands first, and these are like 1990. So some people from the 70s are like, oh no, you got all those bands at the wrong time. But I was just like, <laughs> oh man, I hope every show is like this. These guys are great. And then you yeah. start to realize like, oh no, I started way at the top, and you know, it levels off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. i wanted to talk about uh i'm i i don't even know how long you were with alice but i would say each of those years i would have seen you with him at least once uh so when were you with him and talk about working with alice and then that sort of transitions to when you start doing the thin lizzie thing yeah man i joined alice cooper in the fall of 2004 so I toured the, we were on the road the, for about- Is that the eyes of Alice Cooper or was that- even Yeah, it was the tail, it was, yes, very good. It was the tail end of the eyes of Alice Cooper dates. And then that next year we made Dirty Diamonds sure. and we toured that. So I was there 2005, 2006. I did my own band for a couple of years. And then I came back to Alice and was there 2009 and 10. Uh, which would have been Along Came a Spider. Right. And, um, and man, I played with so many great guys in the band during that time period. Chuck Garrick was the bass player the whole time. Uh, Kerry Kelly was there for part of the time. Uh, Eric Singer was on drums in the beginning. This was before he was doing Kiss full time. Yeah, that's kind of the, the great thing about Eric Singer is that he always had his backup job was to play drums for Alice. You know, it's like he was in Kiss and then they're like, oh, we're going to have Peter for a while. And then he's like, great, I'm going to go play with Alice. And then Kiss was like, ah, yeah, Peter's not working out. Can you come back? Well, you know what? Actually, Ace isn't working out. We're going to bring Peter back. So we'll see you later. And, you know, so it's it's great to, to you know, when you can have those as your gigs, you know, yeah. it's, it's not bad to be Eric Singer, you know. Well, I, uh, I'm grateful for Eric. I really give him credit for uh, kind of sealing the deal for me when I auditioned. We hadn't, I'd never met Eric, but uh, it's a great story. I think you'll appreciate this, Christian. Uh, my wife and I had just had our first child together. Uh, Linda is my second, this is my second marriage. So I have three older kids from my first marriage. So when I remarried, our son Gabriel was born on Tuesday. And the following Thursday, I flew to Los Angeles to go to that mate's rehearsal space right there just outside wow. of Burbank <laughs> to audition for the Alice Cooper band. Yeah. And I got there, man, I stepped right out of the cab straight into the room. And, you know, there were some other guys there that were auditioning. And, man, all these guys were dressed like they were going to a Motley Crue video shoot <laughs> or something. And I was like, well, that's me out. Uh, yeah. you know, nobody told me I had to... <laughs> Dress up in my Halloween costume. <laughs> and, um, but they were kind enough to let me be the last audition of the day because I flew all the way from Alabama. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a five or six hour sure, yeah. plane flight just to get there. So uh, I went in and plugged in and we started playing, man. We played one song and Eric Singer jumped up off the drum kit and he threw a sticks down. He goes, that's the guy right there. <laughs> He goes, that's the guy. And, you know, my, I just stand there with my mouth open and he's like almost yelling at the other guys in the band. He goes, he's the, this is the only guy that, that listens to the drums. He's the only guy that can play in time and he's singing great backups. And, you know, and he just looked at me, he goes, 
I hope you get it, man. You're the guy. Because he wasn't even in the bands uh, at that moment. Tommy Clefett was the drummer, but they didn't want to fly Tommy in from Detroit just to do oh, these sure. auditions. So to your point about Eric, you know, Alice was like his second gig. Yeah, sure. He, he kind of went back and forth. So we love Eric Singer at my house, man. Well, yeah, and I would say uh, any time that uh, you were to play for somebody for the first time, you should, whatever that song was you played, whether it was an Alice song or something else, you should just always play that because clearly if they got you the gig, you know, it's like, yeah, let me start with this. I think it was probably something super simple, you know, like 18 or yeah. No More Mr. Nice Guy. Sure, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, but uh, Eric, what a res- talk about somebody with a resume, Jesus Christ, man. Um. Eric has played in so many great bands and he's, he deserves all of his success. We're, we're very happy for him. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's just uh, phenomenal, you know, I mean, uh, for, for me, the first time I see kisses with Eric Carr, who I think was also, you know, tremendous. You know, look, I'm not a big drum solo guy, but I'll still watch an Eric Carr drum solo, you know, because <laughs> I just, just, you know, my, I, I work with uh, comedian Dennis Miller, so I have to give him credit for this line, but he, he beat, he beat those drums like they owed him money, you know, <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to act like that's my line. So, uh, that's so yeah, Great line, man. That's a great well, line. Well, if you give Dennis credit, I'm sure he'd be okay with you using it. But uh, so, yeah, no, I, yeah, Eric's always been great. And, uh, you know, I mean, even way back at the beginning of this year when we still were able to go to big concerts, uh, I, I saw Kiss at Staples Center. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's great because, uh, you know, he gets uh, a chance to shine there. But what I wanted to talk about is so you're out with Alex and you get this call in 2011 and I kind of wanted to talk about you know look that's got to be a great gig where you're talking about you know working with somebody like Alice and it's you know you, you never hear anybody talking about their problems with Alice I mean you know maybe the the original band you know if you'd talked to them in the late 70s they might have had a couple things to say but in general I mean it seems like everybody's got great things to say about him so talk about getting this call and you know having to make the decision of uh oh I I would need to leave Alice to go uh, do Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Um, it was a unique situation. So we played a concert in August. I believe it was August of 2011. And the lineup was Def Leppard, Alice Cooper, Thin Lizzy opened the show. And I knew that Scott Gorham had just the previous year put together, you know, like a new version of Thin Lizzy. Um, and Brian Downey was on drums, the original legend to me, man. So underrated and so special. And um, I had met Scott a couple of years earlier, Christian. Uh, we, we got to play a round of golf together with Alice. And it was probably a good thing that that happened because it, it, it helped me kind of quell the, the fanboy, turn my fanboy volume down at least a little bit so I wouldn't embarrass myself. But um They saw us play that night, and then Tommy Hendrickson was playing guitar. He had just joined the Alice Cooper band. Well, he knew Richard Fortas, who had been in Guns N' Roses for a while. He was was playing the other guitar slide next to Scott. So that night, Richard tells Tommy that he's about to have to go back to Guns N' Roses and that Thin Lizzy's gonna need to find another guitar player. And Tommy famously said in that East Coast accent of him, dude, you guys should get Johnson. 
Johnson knows those Thin Lizzy songs better than anybody. <laughs> so I remember Tommy got on the bus that night. We're going to the next gig and he told, he tells me the story. And he goes, man, I, I put in the good word for you, brother. You know, I told him you're the guy. And I says, man, that's incredible. Thank you so much. I said, that's never going to happen. It just can't, that just won't happen. You know, Christian, three weeks later, it happened. Uh, you know, uh, we had gone back home, the phone rings, it's Lizzie's manager, and I talked to Scott again, and, you know, I talked to my wife about it. I, I did hesitate for the very reason that you mentioned earlier. I didn't want to put Alice in a bind. You know, they were getting ready to start uh, a whole new leg of a new tour. I think we were going to Australia, and there was a lot of work left the rest of the year. And I called Alice to talk with him about it, and he was incredible. He said... He said, listen, Damon, you have to play with Thin Lizzy. He goes, it's all you ever talk about when we do <laughs> discussions about favorite bands. He goes, you play Thin Lizzy songs at Soundcheck all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he couldn't have been, you know, and uh, so it was great to have his support. And that's how it started, man. And so, you know, this kid that saw this band that changed his life when he was 15, but like 30 years later, I'm in the band. It's uh, it's the stuff of, it's the stuff of a great film, you know, a great story sometimes. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, the topic of Thin Lizzy does bring us to this uh, special live performance, the tribute to Thin Lizzy, that'll be this Friday, September 25th. That's 7 p.m. Central. And I did the quick math. That's 5 p.m. for those of us here on the West Coast. Uh, so uh, that'll be from Nashville. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you're going to be with Richie Faulkner, Judas Priest, and of course, your band, The Get Ready. Thank you, Christian. Let me say right now that the coolest thing about this platform that we've done our live streams on all summer, uh, they're called Veeps, V-E-E-P-S. They make it to where the listener, the ticket holder, can watch the show anytime for 48 hours. So if you can't watch the act when it goes down live, no problem, man. You got all weekend to watch it. So I want to stress that. All you got to do is go to damonjohnson.veeps.com get your tickets. Um, Richie and I have been friends for over a decade. And uh, ironically, that very first tour I did with Thin Lizzy was supporting Judas Priest in the US. And Richie had just become their new guitar player. And uh, so um, Richie moved to Nashville last year. And, you know, we're just great friends, man. We, we, we hang out socially. Our, our wives are great friends. And so um, I think he had seen us do one of our live streams back in the summer and he called me up and he said, Hey man, if you ever wanted another guitar on anything, you know, he, he's like, I'm, I got nothing to do. I'm at home and there, there's certainly no Judas Priest tour date. So when we knew the single battle lessons was coming out this Friday, I was just trying to come up with something different to do Christian. And uh, I got the idea to, um, you know, there's been a lot of press about Phil Lynott with the movie coming out. It's the 50th anniversary, believe it or not, of Thin Lizzy. Wow. Yeah, 50 years ago, Phil and Brian Downey put a band together. And uh, so it just made a lot of sense. And I called Richie just to kind of feel him out on it. And man, he couldn't get the word yes out of his mouth <laughs> faster than he did. So 
you know, the minute he got on board, you know, of course my guys just get excited and I'm excited and, and it was really all it took. So, uh, man, we've done a lot of homework. We've done a lot of preparation. We had a proper rehearsal last Saturday, you know, the four of us all in the same room for the first time and brother, it's going to be insane. It sound everybody's playing fantastic. And I, I would imagine you're just going to see, you're going to see four guys on stage with big smiles and a lot of laughs and just, you know, giddy as teenagers getting to, uh, to play this stuff. And it's extra cool for me because obviously I'm singing it now as well yeah. as, as playing it. So a uh, little bit of a learning curve for me. I'm not going to deny that. It's one thing to play the songs on guitar, but to, to play those parts and sing it simultaneously, it's a, uh, it's a bit like walking and chewing gum at the same time. You got to work on that. <laughs> yeah. So, and in addition to the Thin Lizzy music, I, I, you're going to actually unveil the the band's new song, right? Which is uh, the the title track from the uh, upcoming album, right? That is right. Battle, Battle lessons. lessons. Yeah, I had Battle it, lessons. and then I I knew it in my head, but I was doing that like, let me double check so I don't say it wrong. I should have just trusted myself that it was called Battle Lessons. Listen, brother, you are crushing it, Christian. You're doing <laughs> Thank fast. you. I, I don't know how you I don't know how you remember and keep. I know you you got notes and stuff that help. I do. But, uh, this is a this is a fantastic interview with you, brother. I appreciate you having me. But indeed, it it's going to be the debut live performance of Battle Lessons. Uh, that song hits all the digital platforms uh, at midnight. Well, I guess technically it's midnight Thursday, which is really Friday morning at, uh, at 12 a.m. So, uh, yeah, man, we couldn't be uh, more proud. You know, Nick Raskulinix is producing this record. He's a legend himself, and um, he's really, we're bringing the thunder, man. There's a lot of tempo on this whole new batch of songs that I've written this time. And um, it just feels really good, man. I, you know, for everything that's going on in the world and everything that's not going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Damon Johnson and the Get Ready is here to save rock and roll, Christian. We're going to do it. Well, it definitely, it definitely could use some saving uh, even before this year. And, uh, you know, look, there's a, there's a couple of different schools of thought. You definitely understand uh, some bands who were ready to put stuff out this year. They're like, we're going to wait till next year so we can tour. But then for me, any bands that do put stuff out, I'm like, oh, thank God, something new to listen to. Since I'm, you know, not going to, not going to any concerts anytime soon. And I, you know, I, yeah. look, I know they're happening in in uh, different little pockets in the country, but they sure aren't happening in Los Angeles anytime soon. So uh, listening to a little bit of of not just Battle Lessons, uh, which I do think is a great song, but uh, personally, I like the other song that uh, was sent to me, which is "Can't Clap Any Louder." So. Uh, that that's already going to be in my head for the rest of the week. But uh, so I think they're Brother, both that is thing. I really appreciate you telling me that, man. That is the great debate uh, with me and my manager. Nick Raskulinix heavily voted for "Can't Clap Any Louder." I love "Can't Clap Any Louder," <laughs> but I also love "Battle Lessons," and my yeah. manager loved it. And you know how you do, man. You for me. I mean, I've been making records a long time, man. So. I have learned this little, little, it's a, I guess you call it a little bit of a ritual, but I'll take, you know, the three or four songs that are going to garner the most attention and I'll send them to this little circle of trusted, sure. you know, confidants and go, Hey man, listen to these and tell me what you think. And every person came back with two songs. You know, that's what I told them. Tell me two songs you like the most. And battle lessons was in everybody's choice of two. 
And I think Can't Clap Any Louder was in every all but one. Uh, so, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, again, trying to make the best out of the situation we're in, Christian. You know, we're coming with Battle Lessons first. We're working the song at radio. we got a proper video we're going to drop hopefully next week. Right. And then, uh, hey, man, six or eight weeks later, let's put out a second single. Let's make a video yeah. for Can't Clap Any Louder. That song is killer. I love that song. Yeah. And I, so I guess, uh, is the, I mean, I guess all plans in 2020 are, are, you know, in parentheses tentative next to it. Is the plan to put out the whole album this year or uh, just uh, do a few songs and then uh, work up to it? Or what's the thinking there? Yeah. Listen, man, I want this record out as soon as possible. Uh, the coronavirus has forced us to have to record the songs in pockets of time. You know, we, we, we had to close up shop like so many other cities here in Nashville. So we started in February and we had to stop. Uh, we got back in July, we had to stop again. So about two thirds of the record is done. We got three more songs left to record. I am gonna race to the finish line and try to get it out by the end of the year. If not, if we can't make that, then certainly first part of 2021, the full length will be out. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the, yeah, I've talked to uh, enough musicians uh, in, in the last month or two that you realize that there are some shows that are starting to happen. Uh, are there any plans to play anywhere uh, in this calendar year or, or just more sort of like the event that you have coming up on Friday? Believe it or not, we just confirmed one show. I can't remember if it's in like mid November or early December, but, uh, I got a call from management saying uh, we've been slotted to do a show with Blue Oyster Cult, another childhood band. Right, and I, I know they have a new album out, their first album in like 20 years or something. So, yeah, yeah, and I know those I know those guys are definitely jonesing to, to get out and, and promote that record. So it's one show, it's one of those settings where, you know, it's just set up completely socially distanced and people are going to kind of be in these pods and, you know, I mean, all of this is new. And, and that was all I, I said to my team, I'm like, look, man, I'm committed to health and safety first and foremost. That's what my family and I've decided. But if we know we can go and play somewhere safely, by all means, let's go play. Let's entertain some people. Let's, let's all get that fulfillment of, of getting to, get on stage and, and play again and, and make some people happy and make ourselves happy. So we'll see how things go over the next few weeks. Um, you know, I don't get a real sense that it, there's going to be a lot of live sure. performances between now and the end of the year, but um, you know, maybe that will change. We'll see, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, I was uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to uh, Mark Slaughter, who is uh, one of many people who live there in Nashville at this point in, in his life. Yeah. And he was talking about how he actually turned down doing Sturgis because he was just like, you know, I didn't want, he doesn't want, I think the way he put it was that he didn't want his band to be the bug zapper that everybody was drawn towards. There are going to be some shows that they do that are, you know, outdoor festival settings, sort of, you know, that sort of thing. But he's just like, yeah, I just didn't want, he just didn't feel comfortable, I guess, in that. And I think that's what it really comes down to. You know, you talk to bands that do a lot of like, and it depends on what state they're in. You know, uh, you hear about shows in Alabama. I know that, uh, you know, Colorado, you just think of the big open spaces. Sure. Let's, uh, you know, let's do a huge field. So, uh, where is the show that you've confirmed since we can promote something or is it, is it not confirmed officially in that way? 
I think it's not confirmed okay. to the point that they're announcing it. I do know that, you know, we accepted the date and I think sure. there's even been some, some contracts signed as you do with any show in the, on the professional level. Yes, anyway. of course. Yeah. So, uh, I would imagine that information is going to be coming pretty soon. Um, yeah, it would be, man, we would, God, if there's a way we could add two or three shows to that. It would be, uh, it would be a great Christmas present. Let's put it that yeah, way. But I, I guess the idea that you have even one to look forward to, like is, as just a concert goer, I, I have something that was from July of this year that got pushed to next July. And I'm like, well, I, I'm holding one ticket to something that will happen in like 10 months and <laughs> yeah. we'll see, you know? Uh, but uh, there, there were, there were a lot of things that uh, I was glad that I was like, Oh, I'll wait to the week before on StubHub and, and, you know, cause there were, were going to be a lot of big ticket tours out this year. I was like, oh, let me wait. And uh, I, I don't usually Good consider God. myself particularly smart, but uh, this year I do. Um, I, I want to talk to you about, you know, we've talked about a lot of the other bands that uh, you play with, but I did want to talk about uh, your music uh, a little bit before I let you go. Uh, because you, obviously you had this band brother Kane that had this song, Got No Shame, that I remember very well because the radio that I was listening to my senior year of high school, which was this nationally syndicated network called Z-Rock, I would hear that song a lot. And yeah. uh, so as soon as I, I was just like, oh, Damon Johnson. And it just, it always, you know, want, first I think of how you were with Alice for a while because he always takes the time to introduce everybody who's on stage, you know, and, uh, uh, and then there's like a gag that he does now that I don't know if he did with you. I think it's Tommy Hendrickson that he always says that he's from the town that they're in. I've seen him in enough different towns where I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was, it was Jimmy DeGrasso. Oh on yeah. Drums yeah. With You're a, right. He, yeah, he yeah. was a, you know, and from Scranton, Pennsylvania, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy DeGrasso. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Listen, any, any gags that Alice is doing right now, <laughs> Christian, he's been doing them for thirty years yeah. or more. I promise yeah. you. Yeah, it's like if you if you if you listen to a bootleg from nineteen seventy three, you're like, hey, wait a minute, he still says that. Yeah, no but, doubt, man. Hey, look, uh, if it's working, oh, just hey, keep working ab- it, baby. Absolutely. So, but anyway, so I, I always think of 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 how I uh, of all the times I heard your name introduced there, but I, I do think of Brother Kane and how that band had you know the song i mentioned got no shame and of course the other song uh, and full shine on which were both like well i think uh, got no shame wasn't officially at number one but it, they were both like top five songs so you have these tremendously huge songs but talk about i've talked to a lot of artists about that period of time that you know sort of like early to mid 90s and just how much the landscape changed and you know i I know that a lot of people don't like the term uh, hairband, but that band wasn't that. So right. I think that you were able to kind of get a little bit further along. Uh, but talk about getting success. And I, I think that, it, well, because I, I looked it up, it was my senior year. So 1993 uh, is when Got No Shame. But talk about sort of that period, which is, you know, it's it's a very interesting time in music because of how much everything, you know, there was such a, it, it seems as, as a music listener that it wasn't as abrupt as it really was when you look back, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Christian. No doubt about it, Brother Kane, we felt like we kind of stuck our big toe in the door right before it closed. You know, we were able to pry it open and, and squeak in. Um, it was a blessing and a curse, I think, that we were so strictly just kind of straight ahead rock and roll. That's all we did, man. You know, we weren't an alternative band. 
We were not an 80s hair band. We weren't a metal band. Uh, we just loved guitar-driven American and British rock that was rooted in good songs. That's all, that's, that was it. That was, that was the measurement. So, you know, to our credit, thankfully, we never wore any stupid costumes or did something stupid in a video, sure. you know. Uh, it was strictly about the music. And unfortunately, it, it, it helped us remain almost kind of faceless at a time where you had these giant rock stars being grown, whether it be Axl Rose or Kurt Cobain or Chris Robinson or Eddie Vedder. You know, we just, we didn't have any of that, man. So, um, and I, I, I really stand by my analogy about kind of getting our foot in the door right at the last minute, because even our record company, Virgin Records, um, the radio staff there was incredible. They killed it for us, man. That's how we had so much success was radio. But a lot of a lot of the upper, you know, upper office people and label head departments, they label department heads rather, um, man, they didn't know what to think of us because they're they're worried about working the new David Bowie record, the new Janet Jackson, the new Lenny Kravitz, the new Smashing Pumpkins. Sure. We we didn't have much in common with any of those acts. So um it's disappointing that with the radio success we had that we couldn't find a way to to grow that into a more substantive career. But man, did I learn a lot. I mean, I'd never been the singer. I'd never been the full-time singer in any band in my whole life. I, I just wanted to be a guitar player. So I got behind the microphone literally in the 11th hour out of necessity. You know, we just couldn't find another singer. We did have a development deal with Virgin Records uh, that we were grateful for because they dug the songs that, that I was writing and, and they were they could tell something was there. Sure. So they they stuck around and uh, they were really patient. And so when Got No Shame started blowing up at radio, I think it caught everybody by surprise, us included. We're like, what's happening right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that door, man, it kicked the door open for me and the band and it's been uh, one of the real... Um, just one of the proudest moments in my career. You know, I, I would certainly rather be known for a song like that than, than maybe a, a, you know, a soft, lushy ballad or something. Not, not that there's, there aren't great songs like that, but it's really, it's really been a good kind of, kind of calling card for me, Got No Shame especially. And then to follow it up with a, what I feel is an even better song, And Fools Shine On, says a lot about the band and the songwriting. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's funny because you're talking about sort of getting in at the right moment. Literally yesterday, I talked to PJ Farley from the band Trickster and like their first album came in right at the point where it was going to sell. Then their second album comes out and it's like, oh, no, 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 people don't want that anymore. You know, it was like yeah. three number one MTV hits from their first record. And then MTV's like, yeah, we don't want to play this video for their second oh, album. Oh, listen, man, it wasn't, it wasn't like a tough time for those bands. Yeah. It was over. Yeah. It was literally over. Yeah. And he said he said I, that they he said that they next like played together again like twelve years later, you know, just for fun because they missed each other. You know, it was like, yeah, yeah, it, man. Yeah. And you you I, definitely see a lot of that. You know, there's you know, you'll even have like a huge like a a band like Skid Row who had a, a literal number one billboard album. You know, and then their third album, which is which I think is a great record. Uh, it's called Subhuman Race. I know that album. And it's like, you know, I, I don't want to say you couldn't give it away because you probably could have given it away. But it was just like, yeah, people just didn't want it anymore. 
And it no, was they didn't want to know about it. Yeah. And it was like also probably the worst time to have any kind of uh strife within your band because you know that's the point that Motley Crue replaces Vince Neil. And people are like, What? I don't even know if I like that kind of music anymore. Now you want to give it to me with some other John Karabi, a fantastic singer. And like in time, people are like, Oh, that's actually a really good record. I probably judged it a little harshly, you know. And uh, you know, just for, for me, as somebody who was in high school and college during those years, I was like, oh, I think I still like some of those bands, you know? So it's like, yeah. I would listen to the new Alice in Chains album, but then it's like, oh, Tesla has an album out. I don't know why I'm not hearing it on the radio, but I like it, you know? A lot of talent. And, yeah. And, and there's, so like, I, I think that we're in an era now where people are sort of, sort of looking back at some of this stuff that came out in those years and you're like, oh yeah, it was, it was just the wrong time, you know? Well, you know what, man, this is an interesting topic that we're discussing, because I can tell you that for me in the last two, three years, as I've really forged ahead just as a solo artist, I've, you know, I've spent my whole career trying to be in a band. I love bands. I love the idea of bands. I love the camaraderie and the unity and the us against the world ethic of a band. It's just harder as we get older. It's so hard, you know, because everybody's got different needs and wants and situations at home and so you know I've really kind of turned my attention to looking to to guys that are singer guitar players and there's a lot of them there's you know there's a there's a Joe Bonamassa and a Warren Haynes there's a Peter Frampton there's a Richie Kotzen you know Richie I got to tour with last year we did some dates with the winery dogs and you know man that guy's an inspiration because he's just he does whatever he wants. He writes whatever he feels. And, you know, they're just role models for me, all these guys, because you can, you can kind of, you can kind of set your course yourself. And uh, so I'm really interested to see uh, how much attention we can, we can bring towards the battle lessons record, man, because it's going to be a badass rock record at a time Maybe not that many people care about hard rock anymore. That's okay, man. I'm I'm making this record for my own entertainment. You know, I I, I want to make the record that I want to hear in the marketplace myself. And if I can't find it, I'm just gonna make it myself. I do love the band Clutch, by the way. If you're if if Clutch is not a band you're you're very familiar with, I beseech you to uh do some research on them, yeah, Christian. No, you, I'll definitely you, I'll definitely look you will into thank them. me. You'll well, thank me. What I was thinking as, as you were talking, sort of like, look, as someone who makes music, I'm sure that there's a little bit of a frustrating angle in terms of getting it out there and having people even be aware of it. Uh, as, as someone who really just listens to music and, and, and looks for it, the one way that I would say right now is better than, say, 25, 30 years ago is that you're directly able to get in touch with that music, you know? So it's like, oh, yeah, I, I follow this band on. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those places. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, look, they have a new video. Oh, there's a new album. Like, so knowing is so much easier than before when it's like, well, if Kurt Loder doesn't say it on MTV News, you don't know that it's happening, you know? So, That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, it is one of the positives about the new place that we're at now, Christian, is that if you have even a small fan base, as I do, you can do all right, man. Bring those people in, give them what they want, give them extra content, do extra things like you were just describing, man. And then all you can hope for from there is that you can perform in front of some bigger audiences, make new fans and, and just grow it from there. 
you know, I'm, uh, we're living the dream here at the Johnson House in, uh, in 2020. Uh, hopefully we can get back and play some shows, man. And, you know, I'm so grateful to people like yourselves who are, dude, you're so knowledgeable about so much music. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today, man. And I, I hope we do this again really yeah. soon. I'd love to, I'd love to know what you think about the rest of the record when we get it finished. I really yeah. would. No, I'll definitely uh, let you know what I think. And, you know, look, we're talking about all the different ways to keep in touch with people. So let me take the time. DamonJohnson.com. That's your one-stop shop, but also yeah. on Twitter, Damon J official Instagram official Damon Johnson. And I think that's also the YouTube or is that Damon Johnson official? See, I don't know if I took good enough notes there. It's no, it's, you know what? Uh, official Damon Johnson okay. is Instagram and Facebook. Oh, okay. And yeah. And I think Damon Johnson official is uh, YouTube. It's hard to get all those things to line I up, know. man. If, <laughs> if I'd have only known, you know, seven or eight years ago i would have had my shit together a little yeah a little faster <laughs> yeah it was, it, it was something that somebody uh, explained to me it's like even even if the thing that you can get isn't exactly what you want just just get the same one for all of them but at the same time once somebody finds you they hit that like button and they never need to know what it is again you know i follow right. people on twitter i'm like well i don't i don't know what their twitter name is you know it's, yeah you know, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when you're uh, when you're Alice Cooper, you like pay somebody who is like squatting Alice Cooper, uh, and then you're like, no, I need that, so I'm gonna take that. So, hey, I, listen, I man, Christian, I'm so I'm so grateful, man. I do own DamonJohnson.com. Yeah, no, exactly. The, that's what matters the most, right there. there. There are a lot of Damon Johnsons in North America, and I'm sure <laughs> they get really pissed. Well, that when somebody searches Damon Johnson, there's a bunch of pictures of some long haired dude with a Les Paul. <laughs> well, that's a funny thing, uh, which I'll, I'll mention in closing is, you know, I mentioned that I worked for Dennis Miller, the comedian. And uh, many years ago, when he looked for DennisMiller.com, there is a guy, I think he has a furniture store in Denver and his name is Dennis Miller. So he had DennisMiller.com and he's like, well, what am I going to do? It's the guy's name, you know, like, I, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to try and take it from him. You know, it's, uh, it's just kind of a funny thing because sometimes people in show business are like, what? No, only I can have that name. And yeah, when your name is something like Damon Johnson or say Dennis Miller, it's yeah. a little bit more common. Well, yeah. uh, Damon, this has uh, been a lot of fun to talk to you. And I really do look forward to uh, you know, getting to hear more of the record, hopefully uh, getting to see you play live, maybe down the street where your sister lives. Yeah, let's just set up. Hey, man. Have a let's gig in the parking lot at the Costco, you know? That's a perfect place, man. Either that Costco or there's a there's a Starbucks with a, with a big parking lot right there uh, down Alameda. I, I'm, I forget the cross street. Glen Oaks, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 So we get, I've been in that Starbucks countless times. So they probably wouldn't run me off immediately. If yeah. I and then the, the funny thing is between my house and where you're talking about, which is maybe two and a half miles, there are of course five Starbucks. So, uh, you know, of course, if you can't make it to that one, you can stop off on the way. Uh, Damon Johnson, thank you so much. Uh, let me just mention one last time. The event that we're talking about is this Friday, uh, the 25th, and that's at uh, 7 p.m. Central, 5 Pacific. And uh, I know you said it before, uh, where do people go to get tickets to that event? The platform we're doing the show from is called Veeps, V-E-E-P-S. So you simply go to damonjohnson.veeps.com and all will be revealed right there. And again, 
uh, the ticket holder has 48 hours to watch anytime they want. So you don't have to watch it when it happens live. Yeah, I did those for, uh, I did one of those for a band where I kind of had to watch it when it happened. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I got to put my kids to bed. I, I can't watch it. You know? <laughs> no. So, yeah. You know, so yeah. it's great. It's like you got the whole weekend. So, uh, so that's yeah, great. Man. Well, looking forward to that. Looking forward to hearing the record. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Damon Johnson. And when I post the audio version of this, we're going to do a little bit of battle lessons on the way in, but uh, I'm going to have to go. Can't clap any louder on the way out to us. Uh, rock that song. I'm going to tell Nick what you said. I'm going to tell my manager. He's the one I really want to know. He might as well have battle lessons tattooed on his forehead. He loves it so much, man. Both, so, both uh, good songs. Just saying what I prefer. <laughs> Thanks so much, David Johnson. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Of course, I'm Christian Blad. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. The Blackcast, blackcast.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. We'll see you next time on The Blackcast.